I have been in leadership in one form or another for almost 40 years. And I've led Mac our, it, in next month, we'll celebrate our 30th anniversary. So I've been started Mac and Athletic for 30 years. So when someone says, I'm tired, when someone says, I, I, I think I'm near done, when someone says, I don't know that I've got another big run in me, um, I, I, I get it. I understand. But um, I would say to you what I say to me. Um, I can, I, there's a lot of areas in life that you need to self-protect, you need to take care of yourself and you can avoid burnout. And, and there's things where, you know, you, 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 you want to conserve more, maybe as you age, but you can do that in a lot of areas, but not with the mission, not the mission. Um, that needs to burn bright. Welcome to the Future Church Podcast with Anthony Delaney. If this podcast helps you, forward it to others, give us a review and subscribe today. For additional thoughts and resources, visit anthonydelaney.com. Welcome to the Future Church Podcast with me, Anthony Delaney. I'm excited that you have joined us. Um, we are delighted to be able to hear from um, Dr. James Emery White in just a few moments. He's been a friend of ours for a number of years. Um, I first connected with him through Willow Creek Association when he came to the UK to do various teaching events. And I always made sure no matter where they were, I'd be there and move things around in the calendar because I've always found him somebody to be insightful and helpful and gracious and a good guide for me as a leader to be able to um, grapple with some of the tough issues that we uh, have all had to face in the past. But now Future Church, as we know, is really for us to be able to try and look around the bend at what's coming next to understand uh, what's happening now is the only way perhaps we can do that. So we're not just looking uh, to the past except for lessons that will help us to navigate well and the new ways forward that the Lord's taken in, into in these times that we know has probably been over-described as the VUCA times of volatile and uncertain and chaotic uh, and anxious. But, you know, right now, as I'm speaking, we've just here in the UK, uh, we're processing the death of Queen Elizabeth II, possibly the most famous woman on the planet and uh, the one who's certainly been uh, a mainstay for uh, me throughout the whole of my life. We've always had a queen and it's always been the same one. So suddenly we're in one of those situations, perhaps a little bit like when Isaiah talked about going into the temple in the year that King Uzziah died. Um, and we we want to see the Lord, um, as that he's still the king over all of the nations and that he is still on his throne and nothing's knocked him off that. But we're in these times of uncertainty. We're in times when the world is shaking and quaking and going, it seems, from reeling from one thing to another. And we need to be able to learn together and to learn from others about how best to do that. So, again, um, do subscribe to the blog and share it, uh, reviews, etc. if you find it helpful. Um, but I'm so delighted to be able to welcome uh, uh, somebody who himself has a fantastic blog. Um, many You're going to see a lot around church and culture. You Google church and culture, you're going to find ways to connect with my guest today. And I'd love to just welcome you today. Thank you very much, Jim, for being here with us. Thank you for having me. Okay, something we love to do uh, at my church and something we're encouraging people to do more and more is to be able to kind of share our story of faith in a way that helps other people um, to be able to connect with that 
and at the same time just be natural. And I know that you've recently written a book that's going to be all about that, uh, which I've been uh, devouring, and I know many other people have been doing too, um, Christianity for non-Christians. But I, I wonder if you would just be able to, if like I often encourage people to split their story up, BC, JC, AD. Uh, I don't know what the time if there was a time before Christ, what was life like before you met Jesus Christ? JC, how did that happen? Um, was it a process or was it something climactic that happened? And and then what's the difference that, that Jesus has made and is now making in terms of your life and uh, and where he's he's kind of led you? So if you don't mind, just a kind of a helpful framework, BC, JC, AD as an intro. Sure. sure. Um, I was raised in a largely unchurched context and home. Uh, my Christians were, uh, my parents were intellectual Christians. Uh, but unchurched and it um, and as a whole, I was exposed to world religions and Christianity in particular um, from an intellectual angle from a very young age was reading people like C.S. Lewis when I was in elementary school uh, and middle school and and beginning to read others um, and listening to tapes. I just found it fascinating, I, just intellectually. I just found it fascinating. Um, and. Uh, but there was a complete divorce between that and my life, my actual life in terms of, you know, where, where I was at intellectually and where I was at in terms of just my life. But I was not a Christian. Um, but I probably would have said I was simply because I embraced it, a lot of it intellectually. I remember when I was in college, I got into a debate with a Mormon friend and uh, decimated it. In terms of the debate, and uh, because I, I had a lot of head knowledge about things, and I'll never forget his response at the end. He just said, "You know, Jim, I don't know how to process all you've said, but I do know how can you say anything to me about my faith the way you live?" And it was a stunning rebuke because I could not have been living further from Christ and further from any type of spiritual faith. Uh, it, my, my life spiraled down lifestyle wise, uh, even further and reached a low point and where I became open to the invitations of Christian friends to attend a college campus event. And I went and I remember that it was a led by a group of 20 somethings who talked with you and to you and not at you at the the music came dangerously close to having a beat. It was, you know, blew away all my stereotypes. I saw people that I knew there and recognized. And, and, um, I, uh, and I, and I remember the, the, the entire message was on the separation between belief and behavior between Jesus as, as, as savior and Jesus as Lord. And, and, um, and it was, it was, a uh, it's just a, a moment, I mean, just a, a ferocious conviction. And my life had already been, I knew that I didn't want to stay on the track that my life was on. I knew I needed something. And, and so, and this was just a powerful conversion moment for me that very night. And, um, and I was, uh, I remember <laughs> I woke up my roommate when I got home and just told him, I said, you know, Brooksy, I, I gave my life to Christ tonight. 
And I don't think anybody in the world could have been more floored than he was. Um, so it was, you know, I had um, always enjoyed the intellectual dynamics of theology and apologetics and such. But for me, it was a powerful moment of, of coming to Christ as Lord and, 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 and that unification. And it was powerful. It, it was it was a it was a stunning 180 degree turnaround for my life. Um, then, um, so that's a that's a very long story short. The you know what Christ is for me. I can't imagine my life apart from my faith and my relationship with Jesus. I just can't even imagine it. It 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 it, it intersects everything. Um, I can't, I, I wouldn't have the family I have. I wouldn't have the marriage I have. I wouldn't be the father or grandfather that I am. I wouldn't have had the privilege of having anything at all to do with Jesus name vocationally. I, I wouldn't have had, um, the spiritual gifts that I was so graciously given. I wouldn't have been able to have felt like I made any kind of difference with my life. I, I, I would have, I would, there would have been no meaning and, and, and no purpose. And, I, I, my, my faith is everything to me and my relationship with Jesus is, I want to say it's, it's not just everything. It's all I have. It's, it's all I have. I mean, everything else is, is air. So. And so subsequent to that, and, you know, obviously we want to, you know, there's, you talked about family uh, and marriage and blessings. And we, you know, those are, if we haven't got those in place, um, then the ministry, you know, uh, goals don't really count uh, in some ways. You know, we want to make sure that, that so, you know, it doesn't, it, it, I love how you've spoken about that and you've not said, and have written this book and this book and all these multiple things. It's ultimately, you know, it's the difference it's made in your life. Yeah, I mean, yeah. My my uh, be, uh, another part of my story is that I came from a very dysfunctional family, and um, and in uh, multiple levels. And um, and one of the things that I craved and always dreamed of, even as a young boy, was that one day I wanted to have a family. And I, I wanted to to have the family I never had, and um, and and you know, Christ gave that to me. You know, gave me that marriage. Susan and I will have our fortieth anniversary coming up. Gave you know that marriage to me and the family that we had, and and now the fourteen grandchildren that are just such a joy. And and I, I think that from that, for me, uh, that that translates into everything. Because that's how you have healthy relationships with staff and with other Christians as brothers and sisters is how I feel you lead a church, you lead it and build it as a family and you lead as a father. I think one of the things that's gotten so many leaders into so much trouble of late, which we can talk about if you would like, but um, they weren't a father, they were a predator. They, 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 they weren't a father to women. They were, they were, they were awful and um or they power up and use anger and or what all these things are just dysfunctional families and they were a dysfunctional father figure or mother figure depending on who it might be and so for me family is so centric to so much of everything in my life and of course 
Christ is at the center of that. Mm, yeah. Well, let's go there then. I think, you know, you talked there in a little bit of, it is something we're going to address. I don't think it will be a, a part of what we're looking at in launch. Uh, just a few weeks from now, we're looking at um, healthy church worth multiplying. And, and I'm aware, I know that among some of the speakers involved, um, part of their story will be that they have been in situations uh, and settings um, like one of the um, uh, speakers, Kerry, was uh, wouldn't mind me saying because she she may probably bring it up. You know, she was on Bill Hybel's staff, who I know was a great was a friend of yours and somebody I I was you know bowled out over by his ministry. But at the time when things came out, I was like, wow. Uh, and, you know, we've had times when the mighty have fallen in so many ways. Um, and I'm I'm a white middle-aged guy talking to a white middle-aged guy. And in lots of ways, there that's the kind of... Thank you for calling me middle-aged, by the way. That's... <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we are, you know, we're the, for some people, we're the epitome of people who just by right, therefore, shouldn't be leading churches effectively. You know what I mean? Because you, you kind of up against it, et cetera. How do we, how, you know, how do, you know, without abdicating my own spiritual authority and leadership, that, as I say, I believe is a gift from God and a grace from God that he's given me that in many ways, I don't think I ever was, I never went seeking. It's just, it found me in various ways. And there was a call I responded to rather than something that I was ever looking for. And I kept on trying to rule myself out of things that God was ruling me into. Um, but, but how, you know, what, what, what are the, the, the lessons that if we haven't learned them the hard way ourselves, what are the lessons perhaps that we need to be taking mind of as we go forward to be able to be that the, the church? You know, I know you wrote a book called Church in Crisis, um, but some of those things are the crisis of our own making because of the the way in which we are constructing uh, models of church and how do we protect ourselves um from and in doing so so that we don't you know so that we can they can be safe places for god to be dangerous through i suppose is really what i'm, I'm aiming yeah. at is yeah yeah there's multiple multiple angles to what you brought up I, I, let's deal with the maybe the personal one first um and uh you know you you mentioned uh bill and and i was about as close to bill and his ministerial orbit as anybody could be who wasn't on staff. Uh, I've been in his home. He's been in my home, been out on boats, sat together at South Haven, done mentoring retreats together. We've done conferences together. I mean, it's just, um, and I can't begin to tell you how stunned I was. And um, I'll never be able to reconcile the man I thought I knew with the man that was revealed that 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 deeply entrenched shadow life and i think that is a place to start in terms of what some of the issues are is that you 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 know <laughs> you you create space for that kind of shadow life to exist and i think one of the first things that you do is you you eradicate that kind of space that kind of isolation that kind of separation from where where you can have something grow that big and deep in the dark um, and, um, and, uh, I mean, I, I, I could, I could have, I think, I think it'd be patently un uh, unhealthy for me to say I couldn't have an affair. I could, I could, I could fall into sexual sin, um, tomorrow, but I've often kind of even said with my, to my wife in the past, when some of these 
guys have these deeply entrenched lives revealed. I said, I don't even know where you have the space for that. I mean, I just don't even have the space for that to take place without people knowing it. But um, I, I think, uh, obviously, we, there's a lot of enablement that has come out in these stories where people knew, staff knew, it was those closest knew um, and uh, felt like the brand had to be protected. And I think that's a very unhealthy approach to church where you're having the church be the brand or the person leading it be the brand. This, this movement toward having an ever-increasing personality-centered church in the name of church growth or the name of trying to connect culture, I think is uh, patently toxic and unhealthy. And it is creating just, uh, we've got a generation of narcissistic leaders who is almost like the church exists for them and their platform and their, their notoriety and their fame. It's like, okay, well, I couldn't get fame here or I wasn't doing it with music. I'll go to the church and then there I'll be a rock star. And it's extremely unhealthy that, and people are actually craving it and seeking it out and wanting to do it. You go to their websites, it's just their picture everywhere. It's all them. It's all them. And, and, and a leader does that or a leader doesn't do that. And that's a leader choice. Um, whether you're going to uh, have a personality-centered ministry. So I think that is something that is creating wrecking havoc. And I think a third thing is, um, and this is true of, of anyone in ministry, you, you can start to believe your own press reports. You, you, when you're in ministry leadership, I, I don't care how you handle it, people are going to treat you like the fourth member of the Trinity. And you can begin to believe that about yourself. In other words, that their view of your spirituality become your own assessment of your spirituality. And, um, and you also start letting what you do in ministry substitute for your walk with Christ. So you're not a private worshiper. You're just a public worshiper. You, you, you're only in the word to, to, to create a message. You, 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 um, you only pray when you're praying publicly and, and you begin to have that be your spiritual life. And pretty soon you're like a cut flower. And, uh, and it's just not long before you uh, are just spiritually anemic. And most situations, there's very few train wrecks that happen overnight. They're almost always were a long time coming, you know, and, and then it just got public overnight. And so, I think that if we can own our own spiritual lives, because no one else will own them for us, if we can uh, really actively go against a personality-centered ministry or leadership or church, and if we can avoid uh, having the space in our lives where stuff can take root and happen, and, and you know, where you know, uh, if you can have levels of either activity or accountability, um, you know that that would be protective. I mean, some of the things that I've heard and read, I'm just horrified because it, it, we're not, I'm not even getting into like the Billy Graham rule. I'm just talking about just basic common sense. I'm just stunned by it. It's like, what, what, what were you thinking? I mean, like that's, that's almost like you're, 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 you're playing with this fire. You're not even trying to keep it in a fireplace, you know? And um, so, yeah, I, I think that there's just a lot of, 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 toxicity and 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 also you know with and this sounds like a grumpy old man but you know like you do reach a point at age where you're looking at other generations and right now i'm seeing uh, a very unmentored generation in leadership very unmentored and 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 uh, going into leadership at increasingly young ages with with uh, no oversight no experience and literally just 
grabbing a platform and as if the whole purpose is to have a platform. Mm. And, and I, I, I think it's, and then they create a culture around them that is so secular and worldly in terms of keeping away, uh, keep making sure that they stay in the celebrity pocket. Everything. I mean, I did a blog today on, on churches and their use of NDAs, which I think is a, a, a terrible thing. And you can't make any biblical justification for that. And it just creates a culture where misbehavior is going to be not just tolerated, but abuse is going to be covered up. And um, so I, I just, the it, it, there's just a an overarching kind of recipe right now for churches and leadership that is toxic in nature and, and it's going to create the kinds of messes we're having now. Yeah. Well, I don't know what it's like. And obviously you've been involved in various ways in Christian sort of education and training up pastors and leaders. Um, but I think from my perspective, obviously I was a police officer for a number of years and, uh, you know, you kind of had some things around discipline and around submission and authority and how you use that. And you learned from that perspective um and you know you had authority but at the same time you were under authority and i think that's a, a key thing it's a very biblical thing for us to understand and if we don't get that we're gonna um you know we're gonna there were some things that i i knew that i could do and there were some things that i knew i couldn't do and 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 perhaps again this the mentoring thing and we can look at younger generations but from my perspective i was taught very little about the practical aspects of leading people um I, i'm ordained as an anglican um although i now no longer lead in and now longer i lead a non-denominational church but for many years i led in that system and but i i don't remember really for any point when i went to theological college anybody really talking about the dynamics of kind of interpersonal relations or how to build teams and those kind of things then what we got i ended up reading all the books by bill hybels and others that we're kind of taking their playbook in some way from the business world and applying the best of that. And I do believe there's a lot that's helpful in there. And that's really been my, uh, where I've often gone to. Um, but I mean, scripturally, if we're going to be formed by scripture, which surely we must be and should be, um, how, how do you think it's, it, we, you know, what are the models that we should look to in Scripture now in order to, yeah. you know, we're in a moment where we're reforming, rebuilding, restarting. We have an opportunity right now, and if we don't seize it, we're crazy to say, what happened in the past? Okay, bury that, leave that. And I'm not saying bury it and it'll go, you know, but you know, learn, take take everything that was, was good forward, learn from what was wrong and move into the next thing. But what would we want to do? scripturally and biblically now so that the church of the future doesn't just go into a loop of, sure. of similar things as we well, let's let's bracket that off into two two conversations one is how can the church be healthy and functional but then second how can it be effective at, at achieving its mission and i think that you can't really be effective at reaching your mission at least for long term unless you're functional and healthy as a community so let's let's talk about that and i'm going to come back to what i said earlier I mean, the church is a family, and it needs to be a functional family. It needs to be led by a functional father, mother figure, or figures. And, and, and you know, uh, what, what's the qualifications of a pastor? They have to lead their family well. Why? Because the church is a family. And so we, we've gotten away from this entire family dynamic. And so 
um, when, uh, so what is a functional family? What does it mean to be a functional parent? What does it mean to be a healthy parent? How do you handle conflict resolution? How do you, how do you create loving relationships? How do you treat each other with dignity and respect and kindness and, and an appropriate honor? Not inappropriate on the way honor is being bandied about right now in the church is nauseating to me, where people have to rise when the pastor enters the room and all this kind of stuff is just, again, this megalomaniacal mess. But proper honor and proper and the use of authority and and how does that get not abusive? So I, I really do think it comes down to again, and and there's not a lot of talking reflection on this. What does it mean for the church to be a healthy, functional family? And that has ramifications for how it's led, you know, the role of a leader, the role of each toward each other. And, and this whole idea has really broken down. Obviously, family is broken down in society um, with uh, dysfunctional families and divorce and so many other things. But it's also communities broken down in society with the way we were treating each other on social media and the partisanship and the bickering and the divides. And even the way Christians are dealing with each other and the nastiness that is there and the divides. Um, and the trolling that goes on, even one Christian to another. It's like we've completely got away from a sense of what it means to be a functional family. And I think that if a church, when a church is well-led that way, led like a family, you know, led by fathers and mothers and, and we're brothers and sisters and, and, you know, and, and, and everything that, that, that is written in the New Testament, how we're supposed to interact with each other, that, that immediately addresses unity. It addresses the me too issue. It addresses racism. It addresses, you know, the, you know, the, you know, not abusing each other and, and power issues. It just, all the things that we're wrestling with get cleared up and cleaned up really fast. If it's a functional family and if you lead it that way and you, and you strive for that. And so that's, that's been my passion. That's been my heart and soul. Somebody were to ever say, how do you lead? I would say as a father. I said, what do you mean? Just exactly what I said. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a father. I, I'm trying to be a father to staff. I'm trying to be a father to this church. I'm trying to be, you know, um, a, a brother to my sisters and other brothers. You know, I'm trying to be, I'm a family. And that's incredibly uh, compelling to the world. Uh, we talk about how can the church arrest the attention of the world? And there's been a lot of effort in the last 15, 20 years on matters of social justice and social ministry. And then that's all well and good. But uh, I feel now more than ever, what will arrest the attention of the world for the gospel is if they could get a taste of a functional family. Launch Replant is just around the corner on October 3rd and 4th in Wigan. As a Future Church podcast listener, you can get an extra 10% discount on the already discounted summer deals when you use the promo code FUTUREChurch at checkout. Book your ticket for you and your team today at launchcatalyst.org. Yeah, and again, this, like you said, like the Me Too stuff, you know, this clear scripture, you know, it talks about um, you know, treat younger women as sisters. Exactly. You know, it's, like, it's, it's like those kind of is the family motif throughout yeah. scripture is so strong. I mean, really, the family motif theologically, when it comes to ecclesiology and community, is so strong. It's the motif. Yeah, yeah, so good. Um, so we're just moving forward then. You know, I mean well, actually looping back a little bit, you, at the beginning of your new book, I think you described something of 
your parents and how you were somebody who uh, was encouraged to be a thinker early on and to wrestle with things well. C.S. Lewis, I know that you studied at Oxford, etc. And so, I, I mean, I, let's talk about about your latest book because it's something that I know we're going to be uh, mentioning at launch as, as a resource that I think is going to be really helpful for lots of people. Um, and and you, I know you, at various points you've, you've studied at Oxford you are somebody who, um, you know, who. let's look at books. I'm just going to, I'm picking through some of my sort of favourites of some of the things that I've listened to you recently and read things. And one of them is about, I know that you have a love for books. We're, in a, we're doing a podcast. Um, my wife tends to listen to Audible um, mostly. Um, I'm I'm still a bookworm. I still love a book that I can pick up and underline and do all of those. My dad used to say to me it was a crime to underline a book. I was taken to the library as soon as I could walk, pretty much by my dad, and my dad loved books, and and he really you know gave me that love. But um, you have a bookshop at the heart of Mecklenburg, and you you stock it with particular books that you know we were saying about i was just saying you know we've got to learn from the past and move forward in the future but i know that you, i suppose from what i've seen if you were to look on the bookshelves of that of your bookshop it's, it's less likely to have the the the, the five recent best sellers in the christian book charts and it's going to have some other books that have effectively stood the test of time that can help to guide us forward well um uh, you know together with scripture into the future so if you were to uh i often ask people on these podcasts to recommend one or two books and i know you could go in and, and have a, a great long list of various things that come to mind but for you for this for this moment we are in and leading forwards where would you look um on a bookshelf to be able to look for trusted guides and things that are going to feed us well to help us think better into the challenges that we're facing what would be the the books that come to mind for you yeah uh, you know it's it's i think some of the better cultural thinkers of uh, uh, analysis of culture uh, are really not of our day uh, i think lewis was certainly brilliant at that he was prescient for his time before him gk chesterton um and uh and his apologetic work the everlasting man has i think stood the test of time um, and I think you you have some of these really, really careful thinkers. Um, on a devotional level, I also feel like some of the best spiritual mentors are from the past. And and I, like for me, I've drunk very deeply from Francis de Sales. Um, and um, though he obviously wrote from a, a very heavy Catholic uh, ecclesiology, particularly, his his insights on spiritual formation, I think, are just amazing. And I one of the things that I didn't know until later research into some of the more obscure things that Lewis wrote, some of his letters, uh, he considered Francis de Sales his spiritual mentor, and I didn't know that. Um, he we and uh, and and I and I was thinking, why am I liking de Sales so much? And I think one of the reasons was because he reminded me a bit of Lewis. And I realized that Lewis was deeply formed by de Sales. Mm. So, uh, so yeah, it books like that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned our bookstore because it's a ministry and I wish more churches would do this. And I try to encourage other churches to do this because it's, it's not just something for big churches, but you know, we, you know, bookstores are a dying breed 
And because it's expensive to have the, the, the square footage, it's expensive to carry the stock. You can't, you don't have the luxury of stocking a bookstore with what you want. You have to stock it off of what sells. Um, but if a church could provide a place for a bookstore and it's not about trying to make a profit and you can just stock the books, you know, that, that are the good books and doesn't matter if it sits on the shelf for six months. I mean, you've got it there, whether it's Bible guides and references or classics of Christian devotion or um, works of theology or church history or apologetics or this biography or that. And um, <clears throat> so, you know, how wonderful is it that you could go into that bookstore at any time and there's going to be Corey Tinboom's The Hiding Place or there's going to be um, G.K. Chesterton's Everlasting Man or, 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 or the works of DeSales or the works of of so many others. And so um, we, we purposefully have a very carefully curated stock of the best books, the good books, the books that have stood the test of time, the books that, that if, if we don't introduce to the next generation, they'll be lost because no longer can you wander around a bookstore and see these things. And so, um, so yeah, I wrote a little book called a mind for God that talked more about this and also had a listing of classics in the back for those who wanted to to develop you know their mind and reading lists and such and that would give people a taste of the kinds of books that we're talking about um and um and i'm glad that you mentioned the christianity for people who aren't christians book about um i did get a little bit into how i, I was raised again in a very highly academic intellectual environment my father was a research scientist phd and my mother was a school teacher and it was just the the wallpaper of our lives and I too, I remember I could be punished or or rewarded by whether or not I got to go to the library. That was, you know, that was it for me. But um, but that particular book is is special to me because it was written for non-Christians. Now, I've heard from so many people that they say, but I want Christians to read this because it just gets into so much that's so helpful. And I, I'm glad for that. But I wrote it for to give to a non-Christian, and that's who I'm talking with. And I even got permission from C.S. Lewis Foundation to uh, use quite a bit of Lewis in it, almost not as not an update of mere Christianity, that would be audacious, but something of a, a of a mere Christianity for our day. And, um, and he kind of comes along as a traveling guy. And it was a real fun thing to kind of use Lewis that way throughout. Um, and, uh, but also to address questions that he never would have even thought of answering because they didn't really exist in his day. And uh, so many things related, for example, to the doctrine of humanity. But um, uh, so, yeah, that was a fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm enjoying that book. I'm not quite finished with it. I'm thinking of you know, hopefully it'll, it'll be done by the uh, by by launch. And we can talk a little bit more about it <laughs> there, perhaps when we meet up. But I'm I'm picking I'm going through it. And it is a book to read slowly. I, I'm a, I tend to speed read quite a lot. But I think that's another thing we have probably done too much. And some of these books you're talking about are not to be read as fast as they can, but as deep as you can and to chew things over. And again, we live in a time when people are we're scrolling through life so much rather than savoring in a way that's actually going to, um, you know, make in, in, internally stretch us. So I'm very well, grateful. Mortimer, for yeah. Mortimer Adler wrote uh, a classic text called how to read a book. And I made that required of all my graduate students, uh, because you do, and you said what you said is very insightful. You don't read every book the same. Some books just warrant an inspectional reading. Some of them, uh, a dipping in and out, which is a skill set you can learn. 
Others are to be feasted upon and read in almost a contemplative way. And so, um, uh, yeah, and when you kind of learn that you don't read every book the same way, nor does it deserve to be read the same way, you can read the the best books better and you can read a wider number of books in a way that they deserve. Mm, yeah. So um, there's some, you know, obviously some of the topics that you're tackling there and in other works in different ways are, you know, you're heading on with some of the the big ones of the things that, you know, culturally people are wrestling with the questions, uh, you know, you start off with the whole existence of God, but then we range far and wide in in various um, ways, you know, looking at issues around sexuality and how do we, uh, you know, step into that kind of melee uh, that there is, you know, going on. What, what, how does the church address that in a way that is, you know, caring for real people, uh, loving people, um, yeah, and at the same time seeking to be faithful to Scripture? And, you know, the, I, um, I'm not necessarily looking to get into any specific chapter, but uh, do, again, if you're, if you're saying you want that, you wanted that book to be written for non-Christians, do you find that the, that those are the questions that non-Christians are asking? Or are they the, perhaps the questions that the church wishes they could ask, so they would ask, so then we would answer them? Well, that was really one of the things that prompted this book, is that many of the questions that in a classic apologetics course, for example, uh, would go through are classic enlightenment questions. You know, does God exist? And, and is there truth? And, and, you know, is the Bible historically credible? And those are important questions, and I deal with those in, in the book. But the questions that are being asked today go beyond that. It's not, is there a God, but what kind of God? You know, it, you know is he a moral monster, like, you know, Hitchens and Dawkins would say? Or in, And also, um, and um, they would ask things like, okay, the resurrection, fine, fine. So what if it happened? So what? What's the so what? Um, and, and, and they're, they're much more at ease with the supernatural. So it's not like you're trying to make this enlightenment case for there being a supernatural. Uh, and they are asking questions related to, uh, um, a lot of doctrine of humanity questions. We would call doctrine of humanity questions. What does it mean to be a male? What does it mean to be a female? What is a marriage? Uh, how does marriage fit fall into gay marriage and, and sexual issues and everything being raised by the LGBTQ community. And so there's, there's all of those questions. And also when does life really begin? When does it really end? Which is beyond the abortion debate, but it also gets into artificial intelligence and, 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 and um, what does it mean for there to be life? And these are, these are um, intimidating questions, but they're, they're the cutting edge questions of our day. And it, and again, I, I, as, as I've often told my, my, theology students, um, just like Christology was the, the doctrine that had to be hammered out in the first five centuries, and then later other doctrines historically, when you study historical theology, had their eras where great creeds and councils and stuff met to hammer out these things due to controversies and often to heresies. It's the doctrine of humanity for our day. Uh, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be male? What does it mean to be female? What is family? What is marriage? What, what are, when does life begin? When does it end? All of these things, so many questions swirl around the doctrine of humanity. And then the other set, a lot of them deal around the, the, not the doctrine of God or the existence of God, but the character of God. Is he a good God? What kind of God are we talking about here? 
And then I think a third thing that won't be new, but how it's coming out is new, is a real renewed renewed embrace and interest in all things occultic. Although the people that are day doing it would not consider it the occult, but it is. Mm-hmm. We as Christians know that it is. So th- these are all some some of the the kind of front burner issues that we're facing right now um, as we convey and engage the world for the Christian faith. Yeah, really good. So I'm going to, there's a couple of things come to mind of this. You said that about spiritual and witchcraft and things that we don't even necessarily, you know, sometimes Christians don't even recognize as a, as a battle. And I know that that's something that you've spoken to, the, the, especially with, with the younger generations and now coming up, um, you know, Gen Z, millennials, etc. cetera. Uh, they are tapping into some spiritual forces that they don't even necessarily recognize as being, um, you know, they see them as benign and helpful or, or, you know, it's just spiritual. So it's all the same. Um, and similarly, I've yet to listen to this, but it's on my list for when I'm on the treadmill. Uh, you've got one about yoga that's coming up uh, that, that you've put on your your post. I'm, I'm going tangentially here. That, are, you that, about, are you talking about the podcast now? Sorry? Are you talking about the podcast now? Yes, on just to, to recommend your podcast to anybody yep. who's listening. You you know, again, you range far and wide. I was surprised to see yoga on there as something that I really want to listen to. And I'll tell you why. It's because during the last few years, we as a church have actually bought and built, we've we've bought a, a cricket and lacrosse club. Um, and we've done that and, and we've taken a horrible drinking hole and made it into a really nice community centre. And we've bought the land and we've built a, a nice changing rooms and everything for the sports clubs. But we're now take, getting requests for bookings. And one of the requests for bookings that keeps on coming out back perennially is yoga. Now, from my perspective, I've um, resisted that because I see, for instance, that uh, I've been to India. I've seen um, what it's like for Christians in a, a, a nation that's predominantly Hindu. And, you know, the, the prime minister there is trying to push the whole of the nation to take on yoga on a regular, on a daily basis, because he says it's just health and it's just spiritual. Um, and it, sorry, he didn't say it's spiritual, but obviously it is. From my perspective, so I, I've resisted the bookings that have come through from from uh, from people saying, oh, can we? And, and then you end up with people saying, oh, it's just stretching, it's just... You know, it, it, it's just a good physical thing. So how can you have a problem with that? So when we don't necessarily have to speak about yoga, <laughs> it's an example. How does one draw the line between helpful and unhelpful, between all things are spiritual and we're just, you know, accommodating people's spiritual um, hungers in some way with at the same time saying, you know, I think that'll be confusing for us as Christians, and I don't want to do it. Which is my main, my main. I'm saying we try to establish as a Christian presence in the community, and this is a distinctive. For me, yoga says all things go, and you know, if we if we do that, you're opening up a door. I've not listened to your podcast. You might be saying you think I think yoga's fine, and we should all you know just embrace it, or you may not. But uh, what, how do we draw the line in culture when you're saying that people are are spiritually confused, how does one seek to be faithful to Scripture and to our convictions while at the same time not um, just alienating people for the sake of it? Well, there's a lot of bridges you can build culturally to walk across to connect with uh, people who are not of the Christian faith and to in order to begin that dialogue. 
What you don't want to do is to have the bridge itself that you're on be one that compromises your faith or even is toxic, unhealthy, or even certainly not of God. Um, I, I would encourage you to listen to the podcast on yoga because I, 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 it is, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a steeped in Hinduism. It's considered the greatest evangelistic tool Hinduism has for the West in terms of, of reaching people for Hinduism. Many of the words and everything from Aum to saying Namaste at the end are uh, involved with the worship of, of gods. And Christians doing it don't even know that they're doing that, but you're, you're blatantly entering the world of the occult. And, and it's the opposite kind of meditation of Christian meditation. Christian meditation is filling yourself. Eastern meditation is emptying yourself, which is always a dangerous thing to do spiritually because of what you can invite in. But um, I go into the Hindu things. I, I do think you can have um, yoga stripped of its Hindu and just make it stretches, and that's fine. But that's not what's happening. And so it's one of those things where uh, if you're going to dine at the devil's table, you better have a long spoon. And that's, 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 that's certainly his area. I mean, it's, it's, it's blatantly steeped in Hinduism and, and, and is designed to open up the door to the Hindu gods and to worship them. And so I would uh, encourage people to do their homework on that in terms of, of, you know, certainly the kind of yoga that you're going to get involved in. And um, so it, it's a, it's a nuanced conversation, but it is one that is shocking to a lot of Christians because they've been doing certain things, saying certain things, making certain poses, and they don't know what, it, what, what, what is behind it and what's being done to them uh, mm -hmm. spiritually. And mm -hmm. so uh, it's, it's one of many things right now, what I would call gateway drugs to the occult, uh, you know, dark Academy fiction, yoga, um, there's, there's, uh, certain aspects of, um, fascination with life on other planets. There's certain things that, that are like gateway drugs to a deeper, more blatant occultic viewpoint. And, um, and it's just one that Christians have to be thoughtful about and really, really, really be thinking about and have that, <coughs> that sensitivity because, um, it, first and foremost to protect Christians. Um, who are often atheological and are so immersed in the culture that they don't they don't really see it for what it is, and so there have to be, uh, you know, we have to be very particularly as leaders. We have to be the the leading students of our culture and the ones who are thinking the most deeply about these things, so that we can help uh, uh, shepherd the church. And then, of course, the secondary thing from that, of course, is to also be able to talk and share Christ to those involved. Going back to C.S. Lewis then. Um, I, uh, Alan Hirsch, who you may know, who's been at launch, is a good friend of ours. Um, in one of his books, Reframation, he talks about how, um, how C.S. Lewis, near the, uh, near the end, he went away from the, the kind of classical apologetics this is the way Alan describes it anyway, of mere Christianity into stories. Um, you know, he, and part of that, um, you know, Alan says is because he was looking at the stories that culture was telling. And so he was thinking, actually, I'm going to relate to that sideways. 
as opposed to head on. I'm going to come sort of tangentially into the stories that people are telling and and look at how we can um, you know uh, bring truth in a way that kind of you know obviously we're in a you know media is telling all kinds of stories. Disney is telling all kinds of stories to our children about what um, the world is like and what's wrong with it and how we make it right and, uh, you know, um, Marvel comics, etc. There's There's so many. We are, as you're saying, we are. And I think, well, I think Christians are imbibing the same kind of stories as everybody else because they spend, in the main, a great deal more time with Netflix than the New Testament. And how so? How can we um, engage with um, with the, the way that people now think and the story that people think they are living in? Which, again, as you've said, it, you know, going back to the yoga thing, is is a uh, well. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just spiritual, or, or um, you know, if we, if we could only just you know, because some people say, well, that's it's just intolerant. You know, they, they want or because that's what you know. In saying, actually, I don't think yoga should happen in our building. Um, I've not had a great backlash from it, but there's certainly a well. Explain yourself why that would be the case, um, the, and how do we better? How do we tell? You know, what's the what is our better story? I suppose that we can, yeah. you know, like you're saying with the church, it's like we have a father. And he has a family is a great story for yeah. the church uh, to model and live in. And you can join that. What, you know, what other ways we have a bet? We've got the best story. What, how do we engage with the stories that culture is telling and bring in a better story? Well, you mentioned Lewis and story uh, and, and um, he always believed in the power of story. And, and I think that, that what led him to Christ is, is enlightening for what you just brought up in terms of how we can also embrace story. For him, it was the great Morse mythologies that he was fascinated by and loved, even as a boy. And on that, uh, that walk uh, around Addison's Walk behind Modeling College with, that he took with Tolkien, um, that we were talking about these Norse mythologies and the old dying god stories and such and and you know but lewis made an offhand comment you know but obviously they're not real and tolkien said well no there is one that is real there is one myth that is true and perhaps all the other myths are just shards of light from it. and lewis was floored he had never thought of it and Tolkien, he wrote uh, about a week to 10 days later to a boyhood friend of his, Arthur Greaves, that, um, that he had become a Christian. And it was largely due to his conversation with Tolkien on that walk and what they were talking about with Norse myths and that, you know, Tolkien's challenge that perhaps one was true. And so that always captivated Lewis. And um, what he wrote, not only the Chronicles of Narnia, but even his science fiction series, which was uh, overlooked by many but uh was brilliant he um uh, you know he was using story he was he was always going back to story and, and so many other things in fact even his best apologetics were analogy based but uh and of course tolkien did the same thing lord of the rings deeply spiritual deeply steeped in his his catholic faith tolkien didn't like <laughs> chronicles of narnia he thought it was too shallow and superficial and that lewis wrote them too quickly but then again you're talking about someone who spent 80 pages on an appendix for elven language 
So they just went at it two different ways. Uh, but um, yeah, I think the power of story and the power of story works on, on a couple of levels. Obviously, the story we have to tell and the gospel is a story. It, it's a, it, and it is an amazing story of a God so in love with this creation that he would, you know, keep reaching out no matter what it took, you know, like, um, I think it was Beekner who once said like a lovesick father who said, I'd do anything to save my child. God calls his own bluff and does. And so we have this wonderful story that we're sharing about, you know, the God become flesh and for the love or as Kierkegaard tells the story, you know, the King who sheds his raiment to go to the maiden and win her heart without overpowering her. I mean, so many people from Beekner to now and to Kierkegaard to Lewis, to, we've all been Chester. Everybody's been telling stories you know, of the gospel. And, and, and so I think we need to continue that storytelling. And then there's also the story that we're telling people by our functional communities. That's a story. And also the story of our own faith. I, I'm a story. I, if I sat down over a pint or a coffee with someone and we were in a spiritual conversation, there's nothing, that, there's no way my story could keep out of it. And, and I am a life that's been changed. And and if you see anything different about me or feel anything different about me, it's because of Jesus. And, 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 you know, you and I can have all kinds of conversations about all kinds of stuff, but the one thing they can't ever deny is, is my story. And you can't argue with my story. And my story is evidence that cannot be refuted and it's there. And so we also need to have that boldness of being who we are and letting the world deal with the weight of who we are and, um, and have that kind of, of bold courage um, you know, I, I, I am a follower of Christ and, and I am not ashamed of that. And, uh, and, and yeah, I, I, I did go to school, <laughs> you know, I'm not, a, you know, it, this is not something done in, in intellectual, um, uh, isolation and it's not something that's done because I'm needy emotionally. Uh, you know, I, I, this was a, a, a choice that I made as an adult and, uh, and having, you know, it, this is this this story is not simply the most compelling for me. It's the one that I also feel is true. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the most uh, hard hitting things I've read recently that you've put out was a short piece about uh, quiet quitting and this um, idea that uh, you know it's happening in again in culture, jobs, people not leaving, but not really. Uh, working or not working very hard, finding ways to, uh, you know, post COVID, uh, give a percentage of their best. And the, you, you kind of turned it from there into quiet quitting churches and, uh, and, and went to Laodicea, uh, Revelation 3. But as I read it, what jumped out at me was that the Lord says in that, uh, you say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, don't need a thing, but you do not realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I don't, I, don't know, I would hope people who are closest to me wouldn't ever think that I'm kind of quietly quitting. There's been times, last few years, I'm holding my hands up. There's been really hard times. Uh, there's been, you know, tragedies in the family. There's been, hard issues in the in the church um you know there's been people come and people gone and sometimes that's been painful and covid um you know and, and compiling uh, sorry just you know, adding on to all of those different kinds of things and and there have been times when i've i've you know i'm like many pastors they say 
uh, you know, all of the fed up reading surveys that talk about church leaders that are ready to go at some point, etc. And there's been times me and my wife have had a conversation and it's been like, you know, do you think our time here is done? And ultimately it's always been, no, you know, we're called, you know, this is, we're not here because it was our idea in the first place. So we don't just get to say when we go either. And actually, ultimately, I do believe the best days of the church are all ahead of us. And now is a great time of incredible opportunity um, all around us. Um, so, but how do I know? That's what I read that. It's like, I read that. It's like, you do not know. You don't realize you are wretched and pitiful and poor, blind and naked. What, what's the, what's the, you know, how do I check that, that, that ultimately, you know, I, that I'm not checking out? What's it going to look like <laughs> to be able to, to do that? What, how do I know that, you know, is somebody listening to this podcast right now who doesn't realize that maybe, they, you know, they, they, they've not quit, but they're not. Um, well, I think you use the word intense. Yeah, I, I do think that, that that's key. You know, it's interesting about the, the, that ladder of revelation that the the language that was that Jesus used to indict them that would have penetrated them like swords because they prided themselves on their wealth. In fact, when an earthquake shook him and destroyed them in other cities and Rome offered financial help, they refused it because they were financially self-sufficient. They they had a leading medical school that had a specialty of helping people with eyesight problems and blindness. And then they had, you know, a, a drinking supply, water supply that was horrific though. So he said, okay, you think you're rich, you're poor. You, th- you, you're, you think you can see, but you're blind. So he was, he was pointing out all the things where they felt self-sufficient, where they felt they had it together, where, where they would have patted themselves on the back. And he said, you, you think all these things, but you don't realize that you've become lukewarm. And, and lukewarm makes me want the wretch. In fact, that was the word vomit was the word used because the drinking supply that they had being in came to them warm and it would make you sick. And so they knew exactly what Jesus was saying in terms of their local setting. <laughs> I think <clears throat> there's two there's two dynamics here. There's, there's pastors that have just had the crud beat out of them the last 36 months. And they've gone through so much polarization and partisanship and you know, mask, no mask, vax, not this, whatever, you know, it's just it, it, people leaving, people coming, craziness. Um, not in the United States, of course, it's just been you guys. Um, but, uh, and, 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 and they're, they're, they're tired and they're drained. And, and I have great obvious sympathy for that. And, and it's been hard on, on people in those shoes, but that's different than, just mailing stuff in and having no intensity and having no urgency and, and going lukewarm with the mission and itself. And, and, and I, I'll, I'll never forget. This is something I'll carry with me probably to my grave, but it was many, many years ago, I was leading a conference and, and was pouring out my heart as much as I could about the vision of the church and reaching on church people and how it could be. And, you know, just the changes that could be made, and, you know, and uh, a pastor, uh, stopped me afterward and he kind of pulled me aside, you know, he kind of caught me as I was leaving. And he said, everything you said today was true. And I know it's true. And I know it's right. And I'm not going to do it because 
I, I'm just not, it's just, you know, I've only got about seven, eight more years left. I just not going to rock the boat. I'm just, you know, leave that to other guys, you know, but just want to let you know, you know, but I agree with what you said. And I didn't know at that time I had two, <laughs> I would be real transparent. I didn't know whether I wanted to just throw up or if I wanted to haul off and just slug the guy. It was just so wrong. And, and, and so it's that, it's that sense of not very few people are that self-conscious with this, but there is a sense where you can just reach a point where you're coasting, you're, you're, you're working, you know, you're, you're bringing those messages, but you've gotten to where you're not really digging up a whole lot of new ground for your messages. You're circulating back to stuff you might've done several years before you, you, you're not pushing yourself to read like you did. You're not, you're not, uh, taking risks and really doing things of hard work. Uh, there is a lack of intensity and, and urgency to the mission. And, um, and I, I, I understand that temptation. I have been, uh, and I've led Mac our, it, in next month, we'll celebrate our 30th anniversary. So I've been started Mac and have led it for 30 years. So when someone says I'm tired, when someone says, I, I, I think I'm near done. When someone says, I don't know that I've got another big run in me. Um, I, I, I get it. I understand. But um, I would say to you what I say to me. Um, I can, I, there's a lot of areas in life that you need to self-protect. You need to take care of yourself and you can avoid burnout. And, and there's things where, you know, you, 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 you want to conserve more maybe as you age, but you can do that in a lot of areas, but not with the mission, not the mission. Um, that needs to burn bright and you've got to care as much, if not more about reaching lost people and doing what it takes to reach them. As for in fact, right now at my age and I'm 60, uh, that'll be 61 December. So I'm closer to 61 than I am 60. Um, and, and I, I'm have been leading our church through its biggest change maybe since we started. And that is, uh, in fact, this is what my next book is going to be out in January. Uh, called the hybrid church and the changes that are happening with this digital revolution and becoming hybrid models, fully hybrid models, not just kind of lip service, like what, okay, COVID hit. So we're going to throw something out on Facebook. I mean, a deep, deep transformation of the very nature of how you're communicating and engaging. people. And, uh, you know, so, so, and, and that's, it's a significant thing that we're going through and we're leading. And um, so uh, I hope that I'm preaching this to myself as much as anybody and, and maybe in some small way a model to other people that, you know, because I, I see so many guys really from almost age 40 up when it comes to technology, they just roll their eyes and say, I don't get it. That's, you know, I'm not going to mess with it. And that's just that's just not an option yeah. because we're talking the mission. Absolutely. And I think, that, again, the, if you don't enter into that, the the. It, we we've got to do another one of these and specifically look at that. I know it's going to be one of the focuses for your church and, and culture um, conferences to be looking at this the the whole hybrid church model. Uh, last time we did something at launch, we did it online. We kept launch going. Um, we did two when we couldn't meet in in person. We did two anyway online, and we. You know, we had more people in the room than we had in the room when we were doing it physically. And we had people from more nations than we'd ever had it before. And I think, you know, there's 
and and we at Ivy, I think we have done we do more now online than we ever did and the reach of the church therefore even through doing things like podcasts and those is is so much bigger than our geography would ever be and you know i think we have opportunities we're speaking to leaders again here for us to step into this space that has been you know taken over by people who are who can give you a podcast about just about any niche you can imagine and there's going to be thousands of people hungry to hear about you know stuff that doesn't really matter and yet we have the opportunity to to bring the most important message in ways that will connect to more people than ever and we've got to take those opportunities and and i am in my plenary address for launch i'm going to be speaking some to this hybrid because it is i think key to replanting I mean, the, the key is, is that is, 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 is this blend of the physical and the digital and, and what, what is going to be coming out. Right. All yep. COVID did was just accelerate things. That's all it did. And so we, we, there, there is a need to reestablish well, ourselves in a new way. Why would people go back? I'm, I'm getting passionate about this now. You know, people, if you, if God stretched you out of your building in ways that were, giving you more opportunity than ever to connect with people far from God. Why have you stopped doing that to just go back in your box on a Sunday? Because some people like it. That's the reason. Because some people prefer it and because other people say, well, that's not real church. Ivy has done something online every day since COVID started, apart from Saturdays. We, and and when I look back, you, at the time, I might, I might put something on a Friday, We I do a short 30 minutes, and I might look on the screens in front of me, and I could think, there's oh, there's 30, 40 people. By the end of the day, I look at it, there's 250 people that have watched that. And then I just got a thing through, just on Facebook alone, and just before I came on here, and he said, you know, Ivy Church, this was connected, 3,500 people. Now, for the UK, that's a mega church. Mm-hmm of people that are connecting with us every single week. And that's just on one platform. That's just Facebook. That's not counting YouTube and all the visitors to the website. And we're not that great. We just, we just try to be faithful, just keep something going out there that helps people to be able to stay connected. And we're reaching out in new ways. And so again, thank you for provoking us and helping us. And I so look forward to hearing about that because it isn't just what we did to get through COVID. It can't be that. It's got to be part of how we continue to connect into the future. So would you, um, could I impose on you again to say at some point, can we get on, the, get you on the Future Church podcast to be able to look specifically at that? Sure. I'm, I'm honored to serve any way I can. Thank you, Jim. So would you, could you just wrap us up perhaps in, in praying for us for, um, you know, we have different um types of leaders leaders in the marketplace um leaders in the home as well as leaders in church but i think we're all um we, we just need a fresh empowering and encouraging from the lord and again that that in pray for that for me i want that intensity i don't want to ever get to the point in this ministry where i'm i'm going through the motions in some way uh, you know let's let's go for it uh, everything the lord's got for us so if you can pray boldness intensity i'm i'm all over that please father we we come to you as extremely broken vessels uh with limited emotional reserves and physical abilities and just desperately need you and we need the holy spirit 
to empower us in ways that are beyond our natural abilities. We need those promptings of the Holy Spirit. We need that time with the Holy Spirit through the scriptures. We need every possible energy source that flows from you. Rekindle the mission in our hearts um, like an ember into a flame. And just give us passion we don't have, urgency we don't have, desire and hunger we don't have. Lord, have us see a vision for all that the church could be and should be. This moment not seen as a time of chaos and defeat, but a time of remarkable opportunity. I pray that for myself, pray that for Anthony, I pray that for everyone listening, that we would fight the good fight and realize this is a good fight. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. James Emery White. And uh, thank you for everybody joining us on the Future Church podcast. If you get the opportunity to be able to share this with one or two other people uh, who themselves um, you feel are going to be helped by this, wrestling with some of the same um, questions, then please do that. If you can um, rate it uh, and if you can do anything to help us spread the word, uh, that's how you kind of pay us back for the, the time we put in the effort and we put into that. We're so grateful for everybody who does that. And I do read all of the reviews or, or anything that, that people put on there because we're very grateful for encouragement. Um, so yeah, I look forward to seeing you hopefully at launch. If you haven't booked in yet, it's still available. Go to launchcatalyst.org and uh, you can still join us October the 3rd to the 4th in Wigan in Greater Manchester. If you can get to us physically, that'd be fantastic. But thank you for being our guest and uh, God bless you and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Future Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, listen back with your team and share it. Further thoughts and resources can be found at antonydelaney.com.